0: Welcome back to another podcast from MLEX, your best friend in the world of regulatory affairs. My name is James Paniki, I'm a senior editor with MLEX's Asia Pacific Operations, and it's great to be with you yet again. This week there's simply too much tech news out of the United States for us to ignore. In around 10 minutes time, Mike Swift will join us from our San Francisco offices and he'll bring us more on the intriguing story of the compliance by Meta or Facebook as it was then with the terms of the US Federal Trade Commission's 2019 privacy settlement. It's a story of compliance and redacted documents and there's plenty to talk about. First up, though, Big Tech's efforts to get FTC Chair Lena Khan and the Department of Justice Antitrust Division Head Jonathan Cantor to recuse themselves from scrutinising digital giants has run into trouble. Amazon, Facebook and Google believe that the two officials' past work and past public utterances have made them incapable of overseeing their agency's investigations impartially. But a US judge doesn't appear to have bought that argument. So what is going on? Well, who better to ask than Max Fillion, one of MLex's intrepid antitrust reporters who's based in Washington, D.C. And Max, uh, firstly... Uh, maybe can you uh, explain the reasoning behind Big Tech's recusal requests?
1: Sure. Uh, So uh, they basically uh, wrote petitions both to the DOJ and the FTC saying that uh, their leaders, that would be Chair Lena Khan uh, and Assistant Attorney General Jonathan Cantor, uh, have Prejudge the outcomes of uh, you know their investigations or, or cases against them. They're all at sort of different points, uh, but they cited Chair Kahn's past work for the House Antitrust Subcommittee and and AAG Cantor's past work advocating. Uh, uh, for clients that wanted to see the Google case brought and said that um, that work had it, it negated their ability to be impartial and uh, in, uh, in overseeing the cases.
0: Okay. And so tell me something about how Judge Bosberg uh, responded to that uh, in his ruling. Why did he find that it was in fact okay for Khan to express her views and still participate uh, in the case,
1: right. So, so basically, what he said was, uh, Chair Khan was acting as a prosecutor uh, and and not an, an adjudicator of the case. Um, so, you know, all that past work, she basically said uh, that the antitrust enforcers weren't doing enough. Um, there was a number of things that could be done to boost competition in the marketplace and what she is doing by uh voting on this case is uh following up on that work uh and you know she the facebook had also tried to argue that she had this sort of personal animus toward the company and and that uh animus had violated uh ethics rules and basically what what the judge said was she did not have uh you know the personal animus described by the rules and uh and that she didn't have any of the personal uh, or financial ties to the companies that would require recusal under the rules.
0: Uh, Max, for those of us unfamiliar with how the FTC works, maybe explain to me how it is that commissioners can act as both adjudicators and prosecutors. Just tell me something about that.
1: So the FTC can bring cases uh, either in uh, federal district courts or it has its own administrative court. So when they bring cases in the uh, federal district court, like they did with Facebook, uh, the commission, basically all all five commissioners, they they vote on whether to bring the complaint. uh, And and that's where the judge here said that they were sort of acting in this prosecutorial role. Now, if if a case goes before their administrative court, uh, what happens is uh, an, an FTC, a team of FTC attorneys tries the case before their administrative law judge. And the commission can review the judge's decision in that case. And, and they review it de novo, which means that they can overturn uh, whatever ruling the judge came to. And they actually do this a lot uh, as, a, as a sidebar. But um, so that's where Bozberg said, look, that they might be uh, that they are, in fact, acting uh, in an adjudicatory role. So that's the difference.
0: Okay, so the judge has ruled that Khan can be directly involved in the case. Uh, is that direct involvement likely to be significant?
1: Um, sure. Well, uh, you know, that, that basically means she gets a vote uh, on some of the major uh, decisions that need to be made um, from here on out. Uh, if for some reason, you know, a ruling doesn't go their way, uh, she would be involved in, in, in an appeal vote, uh, for example. If they are negotiating a settlement with Facebook, uh, she would vote on that. And uh, if she weren't participating in those votes right now, the agency, um, it's split 2-2. They're trying to get the third Democratic commissioner, Alvaro Bedoya, uh, through the nominations process. And so if she weren't allowed to participate, at least uh, in this moment, then Republicans would have a 2-1 uh, majority vote on the case. All right. So much for
0: Facebook and uh, the FTC. How does this ruling affect the request by Google to have the Department of Justice Antitrust Division Chief uh, Jonathan Cantor recused from that agency's case against it?
1: So it's it's a bit different uh, in that uh, Cantor uh, wasn't working for a congressional committee, he was working for private companies, but uh, his work was uh, advocating, like Khan was, uh, for for the uh, agency that he is now overseeing to bring a case. Um, And so while it's a little unclear um, how his involvement with his past clients will shake out... He definitely uh, was is acting uh, as a prosecutor as uh, Khan is.
0: Okay, Max. Very exciting times in DC antitrust. Thank you for walking us through this issue today.
1: Thanks, James. Always good talking with you.
0: Max Villian is an Mlex reporter working out of our DC bureau, and his analysis of these developments is ready for you to read and enjoy. And it's just a few clicks away. Our website is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. Click on the News Hub tab for the very latest reporting and analysis from MLEX's global team of journalists. You're listening to MLEX's weekly podcast. Thank you for making it this far. Don't forget you can sign up for Mlex Podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. Don't hesitate to leave a review and to help us spread the word. Now, speaking of Meta or Facebook, the social media platform reached a settlement back in 2019 with the FTC, which involved a not insignificant fine of five billion US dollars. Now, part of that settlement was a commitment on Facebook's part to make changes to its privacy compliance structure – and to carry out internal privacy assessments. MNEX has been following these developments with great interest through our San Francisco Bureau, but our team has hit something of a speed bump as a result of changes to freedom of information procedures. Now, to walk me through this uh, complex backdrop, I'm joined by Mike Swift, who is our chief global digital risk correspondent, Uh, And I suppose, Mike, uh, maybe tell us something about the significance of these Facebook privacy assessments, and also about why it was that MLex and you in particular, was pursuing these assessments through a Freedom of Information Act
2: request. Sure. So just a little quick history. Uh, In 2019, the United States Federal Trade Commission uh, reached a settlement with Facebook, which was and remains in the U.S., the largest uh, privacy settlement in history. It was a $5 billion fine. But as part of that settlement, Facebook had to make a lot of organizational changes in how it protected its users' privacy. And the way that the FTC knows that Facebook is doing what it promised it would do is through these third-party assessments, which uh, Facebook is required to undertake. They're required to hire uh, a third party to go ahead basically uh, review their privacy practices and, and confirm that they are doing everything that they promised the FTC they would do. And so what we were seeking was uh, basically uh, these uh, reports, these assessments, as soon as they became publicly available.
0: So what was the result of the MNEX request for the FTC's uh, Facebook documents?
2: Well, it was a bit of a mixed bag because uh, we got two um, answers, two results uh, in terms of the documents that came back to us. The first showed that while uh, Facebook had uh, undertaken an appropriately comprehensive privacy program, that um, there were some problems that um, they didn't Uh, quite hit the finish line that the FTC was looking for, that there were quote-unquote gaps and weaknesses in Facebook's response to the FTC order, um, even though it was um, that Facebook had taken the initial steps to establish a quote, appropriately comprehensive privacy framework. So what we got in the first uh, reply to our FOI request was that there were some substantial problems. There were gaps and weaknesses. And that really intrigued uh, us. And um, anyone who cares about the FTC's order being followed uh, would be interested in that. So uh, we waited a few more months to get the uh, full report, the full 230 pages. And when that came back to us, frankly, it was somewhat frustrating. It was almost Completely redacted. It was so heavily redacted that um, even a count of the number of documents that the assessor reviewed and the number of people at Facebook had interviewed to assess Facebook's compliance, even that was excised from the report. So uh, it basically left us, as an objective third party, unable to really tell if the FTC's very important order is being followed. And that's something that's uh, quite concerning.
0: Yes. Well, uh, how did that happen? I mean, how did Facebook and uh, other companies, how have they been able to force the FTC to almost completely redact these reports since 2019? I mean, what changed?
2: Right. So in 2019, the United States Supreme Court basically uh, reversed about 30 years of case law and essentially put the onus on the government agency in deciding whether records were confidential business secrets or not on basically the side of unless you could prove that it was not uh, the company doesn't have to to disclose it basically it can redact it. This was a case um, it was called Food Marketing Institute versus Argus leader media and it was an FOI request that was, put in by a a small newspaper chain in the state of South Dakota, basically just trying to get information from the United States Department of Agriculture on how um, stores were using uh, food stamps, essentially. And the newspaper won at the trial court level. They won in the appeals court. But at the Supreme Court, basically uh, some recently appointed uh, justices uh, by uh, President Trump reversed all that and basically said, no, um, unless you can prove that um, there will not be a substantial competitive harm to the company, the documents don't have to be released. So it basically um, gives a company a very, very strong argument that uh, it doesn't need to make its records public, even even in a case like this, where we're um, these these assessments are essentially the only tooth that the FTC has to make sure its orders are being publicly followed. And this was supposed to be a landmark privacy settlement. And in fact, we really have no way to know whether Facebook is doing what it told the FTC it was going to do.
0: Okay, so that court decision obviously had a very, very real uh, impact on your request. Now, yes. at, the, at the risk of sounding like pontificating reporters here, what is the public cost of the secrecy Facebook has been able to impose here?
2: Well, these reports are important not just because we want to know if Facebook did what it, was say, uh, what it said it was going to do, but we also don't know whether the FTC is being aggressive enough in holding Facebook to that standard. So these reports are not only a way to judge what a private company is doing, but to also judge whether a public agency, which is charged with acting on behalf of the public, is actually doing that, is following that mission. That's why, um, why this uh, Supreme Court decision, from the point of view of us journalists anyway, is really a very concerning thing. It's, it's basically making going to uh, make the role of the press in holding public agencies and private companies accountable much more difficult going forward as a result of this decision.
0: Okay, so what are you, Mike, and what is, I suppose, the media company that employs us, MLEX? <laughs> what is there to be done about this? What happens next?
2: You know, we are sort of giving people, I guess, in this podcast a little bit of a look under the hood at, at um, you know, how the, the whole process works with FOIs. It's um, A very long bureaucratic process. Um, We were the first to ask for these records uh, back last year. And uh, overall, it took uh, about four months for us just to get this answer. Now we have um, under the law 90 days to decide whether to begin an appeals process. Um, We do anticipate doing that and and bringing an appeal uh, because we feel like this is a very, very important case. And uh, that that really... um, for the reasons I just said, that, that it's important to know, you know, how aggressive the FTC is being in, in holding Facebook to this standard, not just what Facebook is doing. So uh, we do intend to appeal this.
0: All right. Uh, it sounds like there's a, a long road ahead, but uh, great talking as always. I'm sure this has been very frustrating, but thank you for persevering.
2: Now, thanks for spending some time with me, James.
0: Mike Swift is MLEX's chief global digital risk correspondent, and he was speaking to us from San Francisco. And the analysis of this issue, written by Mike and our DC based colleague Dave Pereira, is available for you to read and enjoy. Just head to the usual spot, MLEXMarketInsight.com. That's MLEXMarketInsight, all one word.com. And click on the News Hub tab for the very best of MLEX's reporting and analysis. Now, I'm afraid that that's all we have for you this week. We'll be back in your feed next Friday at more or less the same time. I hope you can join us then. My name is James Paniki, and from everyone here at Mlex and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now.